of Ephesians. We're almost through the first section. It's divided into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 are doctrinal. They talk a lot about understanding some, some important things. The last three chapters uh, talk about practical ways to apply it. Um, chapter 1, he's talked about the idea of God's role in your salvation. He talked about the fact that God blessed you. He talked about the fact that God adopted you. Um, God chose you. He talks about the role of Jesus Christ in your salvation, that Jesus redeems you and forgives you and pours out his blessings upon you. He talks about the role of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit helps you understand the Word of God and the Holy Spirit seals you. Um, come to chapter 2, Paul talks about the idea that you were dead in trespasses and sins. You had nothing in and of yourself that appealed to God. But God still loved you, and so by grace, through faith, he offers you and me salvation where we can put our faith and trust in him alone. Then he gets to chapter 3, which is where we are now, and Paul starts the chapter by praying. Then he gets sidetracked because the people there are concerned about what Paul is going through. They don't understand why Paul, the apostle, this guy who's serving God, is in prison. And they don't think that it's right that, that, that something bad like that should happen to somebody who's trying to do good. And so they struggle with that. And Paul, Paul kind of stops his prayer and addresses that issue. And he talks about the issue about, look, you may think this is a bad thing, but it really it's a good thing. And God's using it. And I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as an opportunity for God to use my circumstances to honor him. And now we're going to get back to it. Now Paul's going to get back to the prayer part of it. And so now that he's addressed that, he's going to jump back into the prayer part because I think what happened is, and, and you're going to see this, I think, this morning, what, what happens is Paul, Paul addresses their concerns because this was something that was really shaking their faith. In fact, he ends the passage right before the one we look at this morning by saying, don't lose hope here. Don't lose, you know, don't hang in there. And then he jumps into this discussion we're going to talk about this morning and I think really it is tied to that whole question because I think if you can do what he's praying for these people, then, you, then that question ends up being resolved in your hearts and minds. So let's start with it. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, here's what he says. He starts out by saying, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's what he starts out by saying. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And that may not seem like a big deal to you and I, but you need to remember this. Jewish people did not pray kneeling. When a Jewish person prayed, they often were standing and they often would lift their hands to God in heaven. The only time Jewish people kneeled was, was for something of a serious nature before God. And it was, so, it was something that had to have a, a, a concept of, often it was associated with sackcloth and ashes. Often it was associated with something where you're prostrating yourself before God. Now what's interesting is, he has just talked about, we talked about this last week, he's just talked about the idea you can enter boldly into the, into the presence of God because of Christ. So now all of a sudden he's going, but for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Paul said, I, I, kind of the sackcloth and ashes idea. What I am praying, I am praying very, very seriously, asking God to do this for you because this is serious, guys. So Paul kind of emphasizes this idea that, yeah, I can come boldly into God, but I'm coming in there humbly doing everything I can to get God's attention because I want this so badly for you. And then he introduces this idea of family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Uh, we don't have time to talk about it, but it, it's a fascinating concept. He's talking about really those who have gone on to be with the Lord. 
and those who are still here who are Christians. And he talks about the idea that we're all family um, in, in that context. And he introduces this family idea because, again, we've, we've already seen that in chapters 1 and 2. Then Paul goes on. Here's what he says in verse 16. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul says, here's my prayer for you. There's actually two prayers. Um, here's the first one. The first prayer is that you would understand the strength that you have in Christ. Uh, Paul says um, that I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you in power through the spirit in your inner being. This is the inside man. Um, in Corinthians, Paul says it this way. Uh, he said, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, he said, though your outward man perish, your inward man is renewed day by day. And, and, and it's this concept Paul's introducing here of, of, look, there's an inner you and there's an outer you. Paul says, my, my concern is that inside you are strengthened. Because again, in context, what's happened? These people are questioning, why did this happen, Paul? Why are you in prison? You're doing a good thing. God should be honoring you. He shouldn't be taking you through this. And Paul's saying, I want you to have the same kind of strength inside that I have. And he said, and I'm praying that out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you through, through his spirit. In other words, I, I'm praying that you'll be able to understand the importance of this. And then notice what he goes on to say. <clears throat> that Christ may dwell in your... Oh, no, go back. Sorry, guys. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. All right. Let me, let me take a rabbit trail of sidetrack. Sometimes... Uh, in Christians, we use terms and we use concepts and um, we don't really understand their meaning or their, or their background and that kind of thing. A lot of times when we talk to somebody about um, becoming a Christian or being a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, we'll, ask, we'll say something like this. You need to ask Christ into your heart. Okay? Um, here's what you need to know. You need to know that although that is a perfectly acceptable concept, it's only mentioned one time in the scriptures. And it's right here. This whole concept of Christ coming into your heart is only mentioned here. You go, wait, wait, wait. Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Time out. Revelation chapter 3 is not about a person. It's about the church of Laodicea. And it's talking about the church, not a person. It's not talking about the heart. It's talking about the group. This is the only place. So we talk about Christ coming into your heart. It's based right here. And you see where he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Um, dwell's a really interesting word. If you were a Greek, um, if you were in the Greek, spoke the Greek language at this time, there are two words for dwell. One word has the idea of um, visiting and, and not staying permanently. For instance, um, some of you go to the state fair and you, you live at the state fair. And we would, you would not say... <laughs> You would not say, I dwell at the state fair as if this is my permanent residence. Now, you may feel like it's your permanent residence, okay? Or you may feel like being at the county fair all week is your permanent residence. But you're just dwelling there as a visitor. You're not literally going to live there for the rest of your time. The other word is the idea of living there permanently. That's the word that's used here. What Paul is saying is, Christ will permanently dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. 
It's, it's that aspect of, and we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit, it's the aspect of faith and obedience. Um, there, there are people that struggle with the Bible, and, and when they struggle with it, they, they say, um, you know, well, you know, I don't know if I really believe that, so um, I'm not going to, to read it or study it or whatever else because I don't know if I really believe that. Okay, stop for a second and just ask yourself this. Is there anything in your life that you read and you start with the premise, I'm going to believe every single thing that it says? I mean, you know, you pick up the newspaper and go, okay, this is everything in here is true. Oh, it's on Facebook. It's got to be true. No, you don't do that with anything. You read something and then you evaluate it and you make a decision based on what you read. Scripture is no different. I read it. And I evaluate it, and personally, here's what my experience has been, every bit of it's true. Now, yeah, I'm not saying you have to go there first, but that's what I've, I haven't read anything, I mean, there's false things in there, but they're, uh, okay, you know what I mean, okay, you know, I mean, there's, 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 there are, are life experiences of people who do bad things that are in there that I'm like, okay, this is really bad, you shouldn't have done that. Okay? But everything in there is true. I, I, I believe it. But I believe it because, first of all, I've read it, and I evaluated it, and I put it to the test, and I embraced it. There are some things that you need to know. I don't like. And there are some things that I just wish weren't in there. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that the way the Bible works is this. You step out in faith and you act on it, and clarity comes later. I don't have to understand it to do it. Okay, so let me, let me, okay, let me say it again. I don't have to understand it to act upon it. In fact, the Bible is just the opposite. If you will take it by faith and act upon it, what you will find is it ends up being clarity and true. I'll give you an example. Somebody treats me wrong. I'm mad. I want revenge. I want to get them because they hurt me. That's what I want to do. I know that the Bible says to love your enemies. I know the Bible says to pray for your enemies. I know the Bible says, do good to them who do you wrong. And I don't like any of it. Because I'm mad. And I want to get even with them because they hurt me. If I wait for myself to go, I agree with that, I ain't never going to do any of that. So what do I do? I force myself to pray for them. And I don't pray Paul's or David's imprecatory prayers, okay, which is for judgment that God will wipe them off the face of the earth and blow them up. Uh, don't pray that, okay? Although, theologically, I can make a justification in some cases, but anyway, um, I pray for them. I do good to them. I do the best that I can to not let them get under my skin. 
Why? Because that's what God tells me what to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And here's what I have found. I have found that as I do that, clarity starts to come, and I start to realize principles like this. When I act that way, God controls me, they don't. I still want to be mad. Don't get me wrong. I don't like what the Bible says. But I act based on what it says. And here's, what, here's what's going on so that you get the dynamic of what's going on. Where is Christ dwelling, according to this passage? My heart. So Jesus dwelling in my heart, my inner being, my whatever you want to call it, spirit, soul, whatever term you want to give it, inside of me. And at the same time, my anger is dwelling in there too, right? How comfortable do you think Jesus is? So he's going to poke me to go, you know, you don't need to be living like that. You need to let go of that. You need to forgive. You, 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 you need to not let this get under your skin. You need to respond in a different way. Because he's living in there with my anger, and those two are two opposites. And so we call that conviction. And God starts to work in my heart, and so I start to say, all right, Lord, I don't like this, but I will do this because it's the right thing to do. And you go, well, I would just be a hypocrite if I did that. Okay, time out. Okay? Let me ask something. When, those of you who are parents or our parents, or were parents, whatever. When you were raising your children, and you said take out the trash, did you want them, and they didn't want to take out the trash, and they did it hypocritically? Did you care whether or not they were hypocrites about it? No, you wanted them to act, right? If you sit there and go, you know what, I'm going to wait until I act, until I feel like, loving that person or being kind to that person or forgiving that person. No, you act. And what happens is clarity comes later. And then you start to realize, you know what? I can be the hero here. I can take the high road here. I can do better here. I don't have to play it at their level. God can use this in my life to make me a stronger better, more Christ-like person. What do I want to do? I don't want to do any of that. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the idea that Christ, Paul says, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts through faith. I want you to start to act in obedience and faith and trusting Christ to do what's happening. Again, their struggle, why is this happening to you, Paul? Why is this happening? Paul's going, I want this for you. I want your inner spirit to be strengthened. You don't have to live with that kind of idea. And then notice what he goes on to say, verse 18. And this is where he jumps into it. And he asked another prayer. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Okay, stop just right here for a minute. He mixes two metaphors. He mixes the idea of, a, of an organism, a living plant. He said, I want you to be rooted like a tree, so to speak. Deep, solid roots. So that when the winds and the storms come, you don't get, you don't get blown away by them. And I want you to be established 
or some ideas, some translations have the idea of, I want the foundation of the building to be solid. So he, he, he kind of mixes these two metaphors together. And Paul says, I, I, I want you to have a good, if you're a building person, I want you to understand. I want your, your foundation to be solid. If you're like an agrarian plant person, I want you to understand. I want you to be like that tree with deep, solid roots. Because life is going to bat you about. And when that comes, when that stuff comes, I want you established. And notice where he wants, you, wants them rooted in. What? Love. Now, you know as well as I do, this is a phenomenal concept all the way across the, the scriptures. They ask Christ, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and second like I do, you'll love your neighbors yourself. When he spoke that, he was not giving two commandments. He was giving one. James does the same thing. It links the idea of loving God and loving people together as one idea. And here's what he says. I want you to be established in love. That you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people. So not only does he say, I want you to, 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 to be solid in your, in your love for God and God's love for you. But I want you to be connected to God's people. He said, I want there to be a connectedness between you guys as a church, as a group. I want that love to be able to infiltrate as you interact with one with another. And then notice what he goes on to say. To grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. Paul says, my prayer for you is, first of all, inside that you would be strengthened. But I also pray that you will understand God's love for you. That you understand, and and it has different concepts to it. Wide has the idea of, uh, in some versions, has the idea of numerics, uh, the the number of, of God's Ways God has shown you his love. Um, wide has the idea um, of, of that uh, eternal dimension to it. Um, high has the idea of that you're seated in the heavenly. Depths, he's talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin, yet God chose you and, and saved you and redeemed you and forgave you and sealed you and did all those things for you. Paul said, my prayer is that you get that. And I'm going to suggest the reason this was Paul's prayer is because of their question earlier in the chapter. Paul, how can this happen to you? And Paul, sitting back subconsciously, says, the reason they think that this shouldn't happen to me is because they don't understand how deep God's love is for them. If they could understand that, and by the way, you think about it for a minute. When you and I start to question, why is this happening to me? Ultimately, is not at the root of that, does God still love me? See, if you're sourced deep in God's love for you, then that question is one that you have an answer for. But if you don't understand the depth of God's love and the breadth and the width and how God has loved you and taken care of you and redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you and sealed you and and done all these things for you, if you don't understand that, then it's easy to say, God, how come this is happening to me? And he goes on to say this, that surpasses, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He actually prays here that you would know the unknowable. That you would be able to grasp that which you can't grasp. 
that is so deep, so wide, so rich, so full, you'll never ever get it. But Paul says, I want you to know that. And then notice what? That you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. He's talking about maturity here. He says, I want you to, he said, my prayer is that your, your inner strength, your, internally you would be strengthened and that you would really grasp, you would really, really grasp God's love for you. Because when you do that, you start to mature as a believer and you start to grow and you start to understand just how overwhelming God has been to you and to me. So let's talk about how we apply it. First principle. First thing you've got to, to get a hold of in, in this passage is this. God loves you, period. Don't question it. If you have a question about it, go to the cross. When you understand the incarnation and when you understand the cross, there was no reason in the world for God to show you his love. There's no reason in the world for God to offer you salvation. The analogy that I use, and I, I, just because this makes sense to me, because it's about ready to happen, and it's going to drive you nuts like it drives me nuts every year, Asian beetles. And you know they're going to be everywhere. And you know when harvest comes, you know, that's why I love, I love a good frost. You know, kill them all. Uh, wipe them out. You know, I don't ever look at an Asian beetle in my house and go, oh... What can I do to nurture you? What can I do to save you from this insecticide that I'm going to spray everywhere to get rid of these things? What can I do to make your life better? I know. I'll come down and be an Asian beetle for a while so I understand you better. Not in a million years. That's why I'm not God. That's what God did. When there was nothing redeemable in us, he came and died for us. Don't question his love. You know, I just don't understand. Don't, fine, you don't understand. I get that, but don't question God's love. That's what Satan wants from you. And that's why when Paul prays for these people, he says, one of the things I pray for is that you will understand how much God loves you. I like what one guy said. He said it this way. It's wide enough to include everyone. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And it's high enough to take us to heaven. Our job is to show that love to those around us. But you can't show that love if you don't understand and embrace that love for yourself. God loves you. And if you really, really struggle with the whole Christian idea thing of love, go visit a third world country. And then ask yourself this. How come you were born here instead of there? I mean, listen, you know, when you go to a third world country, you really will learn appreciation for what you have been given. You know, go visit homeless shelters. Go visit places where people really, really, really struggle 
and don't have the resources and access to the things that we have. You go, well, do you feel guilty? No, I don't feel guilty at all. I do feel responsible to appreciate, value, and use wisely that which I've been given. Um, why God decided to put me here, why God decided to give me the things that he's given me, why God decided to do the things that he's done, to put me in the home that he put me in, to do, oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know, because I'm just an Asian beetle. But you know what? He did, and I am so thankful for it. Second idea is this concept here of Christ in your heart. And here's my question to you. Is your heart a place Jesus is comfortable? Um, we, we joke a lot about this, but those of us who've dealt with us know that this is a serious thing. Um, but if you've ever dealt with hoarders, or you've ever been around hoarding, or people who hoard, um, it... Here, here's the thing about hoarders, and, and the whole thing fascinates me. Um, but one of the things that, that, that you learn often about a hoarder is one of the reasons somebody hoards, becomes a hoarder is that they have experienced loss, and so in order to compensate for experiencing loss, they never let anything go. Does that make sense? Or they keep, they keep everything. So things that you and I would not see value in, they see value in and they, 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 they collect it, they keep it because they, they don't want to lose it. And often they're, very, they're, they're people who will say, you know, well, I know somebody who might be able to use it. They don't give it to those people, but they keep it, okay? Um, here's the thing that, that you learn about hoarders is that, and again, when I was in the previous ministry that I was in, we had a, Billy Sunday, we had a bus ministry, and so I was in homes of, of a lot of people like this, and and, and you, I mean, you, know, you go in and, and literally there's a, there's, in a good home, there's a path like this and there might be a place to sit. Um, but here's the thing that you learn about them. They're very comfortable in that world. In fact, if you go in and try to help them and clean everything out, in six months it'll be right back to where it was because they're uncomfortable until they get it like that again. Okay? And those of you who dealt with this, you, you know what I'm talking about. Here's the thing. A hoarder's comfortable in their environment. Visitors aren't. So when you walk into a world like that, you're very uncomfortable because you want to clean stuff up or organize stuff or get rid of stuff or move stuff or you want to do something to help the, you know, or you want to change it. But they don't want it changed. Okay? I wonder sometimes if we're not Christian hoarders in our lives, where when Jesus comes into our lives, we're very comfortable with our life the way it is. And we don't see the mess. But Jesus does. And Jesus wants to come alongside of us and help us clean stuff up because that's where he's living now. And it's interesting to me, when, when he talks about the people here, he talks about the holy people. He's talking about Christians. He, he's introducing this concept of the idea that, that when Jesus lives in your heart, you want him to be comfortable there, and there's some things that are going to make him uncomfortable, so therefore we need to change some things in our lives. Like I say, he's not comfortable around anger. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is going to work in our lives to go, hey, look, you don't need to be like that. You don't need to be that kind of person. 
You're better than that. You have a power inside of you that lets you do it differently. You don't have to act like they act. And so what happens is we then start bringing our lives in line with what God says. Like I say, you don't have to believe it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to be, just do it. Just do what you need to do. Because what happens is your values and, your, and, and, and the value of that comes a long time after you've been obedient. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, Christ dwells in your heart. And, and my question to you, my question to me, how comfortable is Christ in my heart this week? What do I need to be changing? What I need to be, there's a book that years and years ago came out, My, 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 uh, my Heart, Christ's Home. Um, and it deals with this concept of the, Jesus living within me. So therefore, I need to orientate my life in such a way that he's comfortable living in my heart and life. And that, by the way, is a lifelong process. And you will never, ever, quote, unquote, get to the point that it's like, oh, yeah, my heart's like heaven, you know. Well, at that point, you will be in heaven. Um, because that, that, that's what we work towards. Um, last thing is this. God wants us to grow up and be mature. Okay? Um, God wants us to be able to handle the things that are coming our way. If you haven't figured it out yet, you will. Life is hard. Satan's going to do everything he can to knock you down. He'll do everything he can to get you sidetracked. He'll do everything he can to get you to question God's love for you. Do everything he can to undermine whatever God tries to accomplish in your heart and life. That's his goal. And it's hard, and we need each other. That's why Paul says, look, you get together with God's people. You connect with God's people. You rely on that inner strength. You make sure you have roots that are solid in God's love for you no matter what. That's why when they go back to Paul and say, hey, Paul, we don't think it's right that this bad thing, you're in prison, is happening to you. Paul, who's rooted and grounded in love, is able to write back to them and say, hey, this ain't a bad thing. I'm not looking at this as a bad thing. I'm looking at this as an opportunity to share Christ, and you guys are being blasted. In fact, you know what? You guys should be grateful, too, that I'm going through this because I get to do it for you. That's awesome. You go, that sounds like a crazy man. No, that sounds like somebody who's rooted and grounded in love that God is using them, and they see it as a privilege and an opportunity for God to use them. That is a huge, huge maturity step. And that's what's happened in the life of Paul. And Paul says, my prayer for you guys, my, my, my utmost prayer for you, is that you would learn to depend on that inner strength that you have from God and that you would really root yourself solid in the fact that God loves you no matter what. My prayer for you, my prayer for me this week, are those two things. That I would understand that whatever happens to me this week, I need to depend on an inner strength that can only come from God. And that when stuff breaks down this week, when stuff goes south, when stuff doesn't go the way I want it to go, I still have a loving God. And I still have a God who's concerned for me, and I still have a God who's involved in my life, and I still have a God who I get to spend eternity with. This 
is just a thing that happens. And my goal, with God's help, is to figure out a way to take that and use it to honor God. That's my goal. And that's what Paul wanted for these people. That's what God wants for us. So I end with this. As we wrap it up, Paul's prayer is that the Ephesian people understand God's love for them. He wants their lives rooted and sourced in that love. He wants their hearts to be a place that God is comfortable living in. He desires for his children to grow up strong and handle life well. Make your heart and life a place where God's comfortable this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it is easy sometimes for us to sit back and question. Lord, it is easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that you don't care or that you don't love us. Lord, during those times, may you direct our heart and our thoughts back to all of the ways that you have shown us your love and your grace and your goodness. Lord, for those of us who get too comfortable around our sin and our shortcomings, Lord, would you help us to understand that, Lord, your heart, our hearts are a place that you want to live this week. And, um, Lord, we need to do, we need to change what we need to change. And, Lord, when it is all said and done and the world watches us, may they be able to see Christ in us. And may we be able to have the opportunity to share with them your incredible love. These things we ask in your name. Amen.